Emergency preparedness is an essential element to any sports event. It can mean the difference between life and death. Today, we'll talk with a nationally known professional in event preparedness. Welcome to the Youth Sports Safety Update podcast, produced by the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program in Jacksonville, Florida. We'll be celebrating in 2024, 40 years of keeping kids safe. I'm your host, Jim Mackey, a certified athletic trainer with over 50 years of experience in a variety of sport healthcare settings. Joining us today on the Youth Sports Safety Update is a nationally known athletic trainer who spent many years in the collegiate setting. He now has his own consulting firm, serves as a concussion spotter for the National Football League, is a respected colleague and a member of the National Athletic Trainers Association Hall of Fame. He is also the author of an independent evaluation of procedures and protocols related to the June 2018 death of a University of Maryland football student athlete. This relates to the tragic heat stroke stroke death in May of 2018 of Jordan McNair, a football athlete at the University of Maryland. Please welcome Dr. Rod Walters of Walters Consulting Incorporated. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Glad to be here today. Thank you very much. All right, Rod, thank you for being with us today. So tell our audience a little more about uh, you, what you're accomplishing, and what you're currently doing today. Thank you so much. You know, after 27 years in college athletics in 2007, I decided that I wanted to try to you know, pursue some other avenues. I wanted to get into consulting business. I, I enjoyed working with clients, had started to do more and more and more while I was at the University of South Carolina and decided to go full time. And so I based you know, my work on my education and my experience. So 27 great years, um, the majority of it at the division one level. So I was able to take some services to some clients. And so I provide education. I'm a resource person and those services there. And, um, you know, I just uh, best practices are safe practices. I do a lot of expert witness work now where I look at cases that have happened and just, you know, what are best practices? How are they applied? And so a lot of, lot of fun work today. So um, policy formation seems tedious to some and a process for attorneys, but seriously, it relates to any level of sports and, and those engaged to keep their athletes safe and protected. So how do we get beyond that perception and into the reality of the need to create um, policy and, and process? And we'll talk in a minute about the difference between the two. Well, I think there's a big deal there. So, you know, let's take for college athletics, for example, we have all these guidelines, we have all these recommendations, and then the NCAA has certain bylaws. They have bylaws that you have to have a physical. They have a bylaw that we have to have independent medical care. They have a bylaw that talks about the specifics of health care. And so these are regulated by the compliance offices at the individual institutions. But there's also tons of consensus statements and best practices out there that are listed as recommendations and or guidelines. And this is true for a high school or a college. And we have to remember that while the NCAA has bylaws, the legitimacy of the bylaws is up to the enforcement office of the institution. And the guidelines and recommendations are only as good as the moral compass of the people that are implementing them. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of latitude there until you have something wrong. And then there's to me, there's very clear delineation. And I think there's very clear responsibilities that we have to follow. We develop those policies and procedures. Now, the um, kind of 
break it down a little bit more for an athletic trainer. Okay, I've got my policies. Now, what are my procedures or what's the process? Or should the process, should the procedures tell you what the process is? You know, so I have a, let's say I have a heat stroke. Okay. These are the A, B, C, D, E guidelines, or these are the guidelines I need to follow, but this is what I need to do when I need to do something, or this is what it's expected. So I hope that's making a little sense there. Yeah, it does. You know, I think that we have to look at it. I think to me, the biggest oxymoron in the world are policies and procedures. It's not a policy and procedure manual. It's a procedure manual to deal with institutional policies or it's a procedure manual to deal deal with state mandates. Every state has a concussion law. Many states now are developing uh, procedural guidelines for AEDs in high school. So those would be the policy. The procedure is how I would implement that at your high school. So to me, the, the policies are the why and the procedures. And in my webinar, I talk about the procedures being the how. And so, you know, how do we do that? The, the specific implementation. You know, a lot of my work now is we work with the NFL teams and the NFL requires us to have a third party assessment of emergency procedures. So they may have a policy that they're going to have that, but the procedure is the how. How do they care for those people? And that's that's exactly what we try to evaluate. OK, that's that's very helpful. Um you know, emergency action plans are part of those um, procedures and should be a part of any youth or high school sports program. Uh, so how would you encourage others to make sure they're in place and rehearse seasonally? Because, for example, we have a law in the state of Florida that requires many of these things. But my concern is about the compliance and making sure that in maybe those schools that do or do not have an athletic trainer, they're actually doing those things and have those things in place. So how do we encourage others to make sure they're, they're done and they're rehearsed seasonally? Uh, Jim, that's an excellent question. You know, the, the article that came out in 2002, JC Anderson's article about implementing, uh, it's almost like a, a gold standard that the NATA uh, procedures have used as far as emergency action plans. It talks about that annual review. You know, I, I think that's fine, but I think it needs to be a quarterly review. I, we can't just wait once a year and think that we've checked it off. To me, this is an onboarding document. When you hire a new coach, they shouldn't do anything until they understand the emergency action plan. I want a response plan for every countable athletic-related activity. Individual workout, weight room workout, whatever a person's doing under the auspices of the athletics department, should be covered and the students should have an emergency action plan while they're in the schools. So, you know, the EAP is a big deal to me, probably 85 to 90% of the cases that I work with now as an expert witness have some failure of the emergency action plan. It's the lowest hanging fruit, but the most commonly abused because we don't pay attention to it. We have to educate coaches. We have to make sure they understand those things. We have to understand where the AEDs are. We have to understand how to use them. And if we if we need to repeat it monthly, repeat it monthly as far as practice. But we have to make sure our team understands how to implement that emergency response. Exactly. I when I teach a lot of CPR to coaches, and one thing I encourage them to do in these I, I smaller sports or sports where they may be the only coach there 
is to practice that emergency action plan with your team. You know, what are you going to do and who's going to do what? If What if I, as the coach, have a sudden cardiac arrest? What are they going to do beyond calling 911? We also, um, I think you said the seasonally, monthly, whatever it takes. Uh, Football is different than hockey. Hockey is different than lacrosse. And so each each sport has its unique uh, injuries or surfaces or elements to work with. So it, it needs to be implemented and practiced on a regular basis in that. So right. you do provide consulting. Um, and uh, as you said, and be an expert witness, maybe you're our, our best friend or maybe you're the friend that we don't want to see come around. But uh you also provide the consulting for athletic training programs to prepare them seasonally for different sports. So tell us a little bit about that. You said you kind of evaluate how the programs are going in the NFL, but what what other services do you provide like that for the colleges and high schools? Well, we, we would just simply look at their procedures. You know, what procedures do you have in place? Are they appropriate and are they followed? You know, so many times people have things in writing, but it's not been done, you know. Uh, you referenced the Maryland report a while ago um, earlier. You know, Dr. Lowe, when I went in there, had two questions. Number one, do we have appropriate procedures and were they followed? So when you have those types of questions, um, that's exactly what we're, what we're talking about. But we have to – there's so much going on today. You know, the emergency action plan, cardiac arrest, as you mentioned, a very, very important situation. Exertional heat stroke and a very important situation. So – we have procedures for dealing with these things, but we have to make sure that they're that they're kept up with. Jim, one thing that really concerns me is that we have all these modifications for for practices as far as you know, as far as heat. But then we get to games, and all of a sudden we're in black flag conditions. We have a WBGT of ninety two, but the game's coming off. You know, if lightning blew up and we had a thunder boomer. We're going to pause that game for 30 minutes until it clears or 30 minutes after that last strike. You know this better than I do. Why don't we do the same thing for the heat? I mean, I think this is an area that we've got to grow. We've got to get better because I think right now we do a great job with practices, but games is, is almost like absurd. I had a lot of calls this year from people in very extreme environments that were stressed about this you know we, we we modify practices but we're not doing anything for games i just i just mentioned that as something to think about right I, i've seen a lot of that on the chatter on the social media uh why are we not doing that some have countered with the argument well these players are in and out they're getting you know a lot of hydration in that but again the conditions are the conditions and um some modifications have to be made um right you know, canceling is a, is an ugly word, but we, we learned in Florida to say a lot of things like, well, let's modify, let's make some adjustments. And that, that tends to get a little bit more uh, traction as, as we go forward, but we'll, we'll see how that, uh, that goes in the future. Right. So uh, let's think, have a little, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I, all that's fine. And until we have a exertional heat stroke and then, I mean, they're going to go back to the, you know, what is the policy? And right. so I think that's what people have to realize, you know, you've got common sense, but you know, many times it's very black and white whenever there's an incident like that. Right. Just for work. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. So let's take a little break here. The Jacksonville sports medicine program or JSMP is dedicated to youth sports safety through awareness, advocacy, and injury prevention. The JSMP is also the managing partner of the Florida Alliance of sports medicine or FASMED, 
which is a statewide coalition of sports medicine physicians who are engaged in promoting the highest level of high school sports safety through education, awareness, and access to medical resources to keep kids safe. And now let's return back to our podcast. We're speaking today on the Youth Sports Safety Update with Rod Walters of Walters Consulting. Rod is a seasoned athletic trainer with many years of valuable experience and wisdom. So we were just talking a minute ago about exertional heat stroke. It's very prevalent still today. And uh, you were brought in to develop an investigative report as to what was or not done in the tragic case of Jordan McNair and to make recommendations to set people up for future success. So how was that experience, what you can share and what can you share? What was learned for our benefit in preparing ourselves better? You know, I learned a lot. I think that, the, you know, again, I think we have to remember best practices are safe practices. That's kind of one of those mantras I go by today. But I think that, you know, so many times we have procedures and we just don't do what we're supposed to do. And I think that's where we get in trouble. So just my only my only point is just, you know, make, if you have uh, something you're supposed to do, do it. I mean, you know, I think very, very quickly we see with exertional heat stroke, that if we, if we recognize those signs that, that they're presenting with, if we assess that patient and find out if they do have an elevated core temperature, and if they do, if we put them in cold water and cool them down with that water being circulated, and we do that within 30 minutes, we're going to have good outcomes. Dr. Casa has talked about and published that of 274 exertional heat stroke cases that he's dealt with, specifically that when they cool first transport second and they get to those patients within 30 minutes they have a 100 percent success rate and this is obviously the opposite that happens many times so i think it's so important that we have a great plan here and that, that we make sure everybody and this is again this can't just be the athletic trainers buttoned up but that's got to be the policy and the philosophy of the institution very good so uh, let's switch topics a little bit here. Uh, so how can we as athletic trainers manage these time pressures? We're hearing a lot of this uh, life work balance things and responsibilities and managed care while maintaining positive mental health strategies. What works for you as you consult with those in the field? Because I know you and I have come from uh, backgrounds of where you, you worked until you worked in that, right. but um, life is different now and we need to adjust and so what, what kind of advice do you give to uh, to many athletic trainers in the field today? I think that we have to be very, very aware of mental health. Mental health is, and we talk about 25% of the population that, of the high school, college age population has some type of mental health, something they're dealing with, where they've had issues here. And realistically, we're finding out at many institutions, it may be over 50%. So this is a real problem today. And I think that the thing that helps me the most is when you have something, get it dealt with, you know, get them to the appropriate people. And I think what's helped me if, to, to answer your question, what's helped me the most in my life is time management. You know, if I can manage events and I can organize my time, um, you know, I, I was a, a, not the best person to work with early in my career because like you just said, it was 630 till we're done regardless and now as teams practice in the afternoon they may come to work at 11 they have times they can do other things for themselves so i think work-life balance is important and i think you know making sure um that that we deal with those things is very important 
we can manage time. We you know we can really make it work for us. So I think that's something that really has helped me, and I've really pushed that to people as hard as I can. Yeah, that's good, and and it, it provides a much better outcome. And just in, enjoy life because life is only so long. But give give a hundred percent when you're with your people and and do everything you can do, and uh, life will uh, will work itself out there. Absolutely. So, uh, as a concussion spotter, what are you observing as far as head impacts and the value of self-reporting a head injury or a, or we, as we call them a brain injury? What's the uh, we're seeing a lot of hard hits, but what's the, what's the value of that self-reporting and what, what's your message to parents and, and kids out there? You know, that's a great question, Jim. I, I, um, you know, I think as a spotter, we have to act on the signs that we see. And I think that every state now has a concussion law of some variety, whether it be a really well-written law or just a law for education. And so I think that's really an important piece. And I think there's coaches, there's parents, there's athletes, and there's healthcare providers. Everybody's got a role. And I think what coaches, the biggest area I see for problems are when coaches may see an athlete take a hit. I don't work like you we're taught in the NFL. I don't worry about big hits. I'm worried about hits that cause people to have presentations of balance issues. They have a headache. They have that. They're clutching their helmet or they're lying there. Most signs that I can see that I know are signs of concussions. They need to be dealt with. And when a coach sees somebody that happen, they have to be educated. I don't want them to be healthcare providers, but at the same time, every one of our states is identifying certain signs and symptoms coaches have to look for and make sure the healthcare provider understands that. If the kid comes home and he's got a headache at night, the parent has to make sure the athlete trainer understands that and knows that because that qualifies them to be put into a concussion protocol. I just think the communication, the education of everybody, I'm probably going way too deep on this, Jim, but this is really a concern because I deal with a lot of legal cases in this area, and it's because there is poor communication. Right. So, and that is the athlete, the parent, the athletic trainer, the coach, uh, the administrator, the physician, just changing the culture of everybody getting all upset, uh, like you say, all upset about the big hit, but let's look at what are the signs and symptoms you're seeing right? and then follow through with those. Uh, because as a, as a physician told me, he says, I'm not here to take the athlete out. I'm here to protect them. Right. And that, that may involve taking them out, but you win that confidence that I have kids say, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I said, okay, I'm glad you're fine, but let's talk about it for a minute. Let's stand here and let's see how fine you are. And then we'll get you back to the game as quickly as possible, but, or, or we'll manage it in whatever way it needs to be managed in that. And it's, um, again, it's, it's a, it's a big balance, but it's having people very educated and, uh, communicating about it. Uh, right. we've got to get away from stigmas of be it stigmas about mental health, stigmas about hard hits and, you know, stigmas that people put on things that absolutely they perceive as negative and it's for their positive life and future health and that. So yeah, great. Jim, great it's so comments. fun to be interviewed by somebody that understands this stuff. I mean, you've got such a great grasp on this and you know, I remember one of the first studies that I saw in concussions and it said, if we get people identified sooner, that they don't go back to play and try to, you know, have a 
come out two days later, the earlier we would detect it, the better the recovery is. Right. The less severe their injury, the less severe their symptoms are. So, you know, we've got some really good research coming out of the of the concussion consortium now between the Department of Defense and the NCAA. And these are high school and collegiate studies. So, you know, we're fine. One of the first things we found out is that, you know, with concussions early on, they said you're going to be out seven to 10 days. Well, now we're finding out that that seven to 10 days is really 14 to 21 days. So there's not a rush to get people back. And it's not the fact that we're not pushing. It's not because I'm over 55 years old now or 65 years old that I'm becoming more conservative. But we know that there's better outcomes when we don't just rush that person back into play. So any uh, any other lessons as we kind of wrap up here? Any other lessons learned along the way or messages you'd like to share for our um, athletic trainers, coaches, parents? You know, I, I, Jim, the only thing I'd say is this is probably there's nothing in this world that I would rather do than be an athletic trainer. I, I love what I do. I love my work in college athletics. I love what I'm doing today. We're preparing uh, my attorney partner and I are working today on a, you know, preparing for a, a review we're going to do here in a few weeks. And, you know, I just I get excited about that stuff. I work harder now than I ever have in my life because I enjoy what I'm doing. I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to educate people. And it's just, you know, great being a resource person. That's great, Rod. I appreciate what you're doing. I, I don't want to scare people, but I think it's good to see those uh, mock trials or uh, I know some of our colleagues have done things like that. Is What does a mock trial look like? We don't ever want to have to go there, but those help to prepare us so that we don't ever get there. And as you continue your work, it's very helpful and it, it educates the athletic trainer and it is a great profession as we both know and Absolutely. many of us know here. So we're grateful uh, for that and grateful for you and, and all you're doing. So thank you very much, uh, Rod, uh, for joining us today. And we wish you all the very best with Walters Consulting. And thank you for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Youth Sports Safety Update. Our mission is dedicated to youth sports safety through awareness, advocacy, and injury prevention. Guests of the show are stakeholders of youth sports safety. Views and conclusions expressed in this program are those of the guests and not necessarily those of the employees, administration, or associated staff of JSMP and does not imply endorsement of any product, service, or opinion discussed. All material presented in this program is provided for information only and should not be construed as professional advice. Any use of this podcast without the express written consent of the JSMP or FASMED is strictly prohibited. For more information and access to important resources on youth sports safety, visit our website at jaxsmp.com and our show notes as well. The Youth Sports Safety Update is a production of the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program. Your host and producer today is Jim Mackey. Please join us again. Stay safe and thank you very much.